It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, running nerds. It's Kyle Merber. And if you're listening to this podcast, then there's a high likelihood that you love track and field. In that case, I encourage you to subscribe to the Lap Count newsletter. It's my newsletter, helping fans stay up to date with all the thrilling action and biggest stories in the world of track and field, delivered right to your inbox every Wednesday morning. It's free. It takes less than a minute to sign up at thelapcount.com, and I think you'll enjoy it. Here's this week's newsletter read by Chris Chavez. Before we get into it, this week's newsletter is presented by Vellis. Vellus is the active recovery footwear brand that is designed to help you restore, revive, and re-energize before and after you train. They are launching two new styles to their recovery mix for spring 2024, the Active Slide and the Active Flip Collection. These active recovery sandals are super lightweight and equipped with Vellus's three-part tri-motion technology. They cradle your heel with impact-absorbing foam that cushions your feet with every step, amazing arch support, and four-foot flex that allows your fatigued feet and toes to stretch and relax. Vellus is focused on helping athletes recover faster before and after you train so you can get after your next run performing at your best. Run, recover, repeat with Vellus. Enjoy a 20% discount by entering code SIDIUSMAG20 at checkout. Visit VellusFootwear.com. Lap 154, I Heart Track and Field. The tragic loss of Kelvin Kiptoom. It was an iconic moment. A world record shattered on a Chicago street. And Kelvin Kiptoom was just getting started. There were predictions of a sub-two-hour marathon and glory at the Paris Olympics. Tragically, his life was cut short at just 24 years old. On Sunday evening, news broke out of Kenya that marathon world record holder Kelvin Kiptoom had tragically passed away in a car accident at the age of 24, alongside his coach, Jervis Hakizamana. The accident happened at exactly 11 o'clock last night, 2300 hours, on the 11th of February, 2024. The vehicle was heading to, towards Ravine, coming from Eldoret, and Kelvin Kiptoom was driving. On board the vehicle or the car, there were two other passengers. His coach, who is Arwandis, is called Garvanes Hakisimani, and there was also a lady by the name Sharon Koskei, a female of 32 years. At the point of accident, Kelvin lost control of the vehicle, veered off the road, and entered into a ditch. He drove through that ditch for 60 meters before hitting a big tree. And that is, I believe, what caused this damage that we are talking about. As a result, Kiptoom and the coach died on the spot, while the lady escaped with serious injuries and was rushed to Rescos Hospital in Eldoret for treatment, where she is still uh, there. The two bodies also, that of Kelvin Kiptoom and his coach, were also taken to the same hospital uh, mortuary for autopsy, which will be done later on after the family has been briefed and accepted and um, uh, all agreements are done. The vehicle was extensively damaged and was uh, towed to Captagat Police Station for inspection and police further action. That is the message that we, I received from 
the police commander of Elgeyo Marakwet County who sent his people to go and attend to this accident last night at 11 o'clock um, according to the report that, that he has given. In addition to being the most exciting young marathoner since Sammy Wanjiru, Kiptum was a father of two. During his short-lived marathon career, Kiptum ran three flawless races. His first, in Valencia, in which he became the fastest marathon debutant in history, running 201.53. His second, which saw him break the London Marathon record in 201.25. And then the one we know he'll be best remembered for, setting a new world record of 2 hours and 35 seconds in Chicago this past fall. He was set to race in Rotterdam this April in an attempt to improve upon that mark and break two hours. After that, Kiptum versus Elliot Kipchoge battling it out in Paris was among the most anticipated matchups of the Olympic Games. Calvin Kiptum's legacy will not only be remembered for the times that he ran, but the way that he ran them, and fascination over how fast he could have run. The world will never know. Rest in peace and our deepest condolences to Kelvin's family, friends, and all of those who had the pleasure of being inspired by his performances. When he can walk the walk after all the talk. Josh Kerr celebrates early because he's a world record holder. There isn't a huge incentive to talk much in track and field, and that's why we don't get a lot of it. There's no revenue share, there aren't contract bonuses for being well-liked. Even having the biggest Instagram following is not a significant value add when it comes to negotiating appearance fees, which is good, right? This thing is a meritocracy. Running fast is still the most important factor. So since Josh Kerr announced his plans to break the two-mile world record at the Milrose Games back in November on the Sidious Mag podcast, my main question was, why? There's already an incredible amount of pressure entering the Olympic year as the reigning world champion. Once you've won... If you do it again, it's no longer an upset. It's the expectation. Why go through the trouble of painting an even bigger, more obvious target on the back of your singlet? And that's where my doubt or concern came from regarding this weekend's record attempt and curse season at large. This is a new position for him on the world stage, and any pressure he feels aside, the dude seems quite busy. As Jake Whiteman can attest, the media attention can be a noisy distraction. The question then is, how does Kerr handle it all? To help, he has hired four to five employees to help manage all aspects of his business and life. As much as I want to make fun of a professional runner needing that big of a team, I am insanely jealous and it makes me think he'll be okay. Imagine how good this newsletter would be if I didn't have to go grocery shopping each week. As Kerr, Jakob Britson, and Whiteman have spoken openly about their feelings of one another in the media during the offseason, the biggest beneficiary has been the fans. If you weren't already invested, you should be now. Jakob claims he'd win 98 of the 100 times against the two Scots, who, if you're keeping score at home, have won twice between them. All of this while Jakob has bypassed the indoor season with a sore Achilles. Most of us curl up in a little ball and cry ourselves to sleep at night when dealing with an injury, behavior which sits on the opposite end of the confidence spectrum from popping off to any Norwegian journalist willing to sit for an interview while you aqua jog. And that's why Jakob is so special. He not only forces his opponents to raise their game on the track, but to elevate their shit-talking off of it. But back to that track thing. Mo Farah's previous world record of 803.4 was a fast time. To put it into perspective, it takes running a 733k, then continuing on that pace for another 218 meters. When Kerr won the Milrose Games last year, he did so in a time of 733.47. 
Has he become that much stronger? Or is he just that good at running downhill on the banks of the armory track? Given that Kerr was the one guaranteeing fans a world record performance, you might assume that he would have taken it upon himself to keep the pace honest. Instead, Grant Fisher, who must not listen to the Sidious Mac podcast because Kerr was pretty clear about going for it, was the first one on the Rabbits. Special Rabbit shout out to Hazem Awad, who got things started, and AJ Ernst, who towed the field through 2K in 5.04. Ernst is making a name for himself in the rabbiting world, but also ran a 3.52 mile of his own last week. Not bad for an unsponsored athlete working a full-time consulting job who graduated with a 3.39 1500-meter personal best a couple years back. In Fisher's first race since leaving Bowerman, he kept things honest and seemed to have Kerr on the ropes with a few laps to go. Where else besides the Milrose Games do you get a clash between the best American distance runner right now and the 1,500-meter world champion? Fisher tried his best to get the kick out of Kerr, but couldn't quite break him. Ultimately, when the 1,500 guy could sniff the finish line and the record, he closed his last 400 meters in 56.9 seconds to run 8 flat .67. Most of our familiarity with the quality of a two-mile time stems back to high school. All I know is that from my personal experience, if you couldn't break nine minutes back in 2008, then Stanford wouldn't respond to your emails. But what's eight flat worth? Well, according to the World Athletic Scoring Table, Kerr's time is faster than Lametra Gurma's 3K world record of 723.81. The thing is, it's not faster than Jakob Ingebrigtsen's 754.10 from the outdoor world record. The world record you didn't see coming. Charlton makes wow. the move, and that is a quick time. We got to wait for that to be official. That is a start and a new world record. That is the world record taking down the 7.68 world record set by Susanna Kalur some 16 years ago. Technically, every sprint race is a world record attempt, right? The 60 meter hurdles wasn't the main event that was being hyped up as such. But Devin Charlton set the tone for the meet early as she ran 7.67 seconds to break the previous mark of 7.68 set by Susanna Kalur of Sweden in 2008. The former Purdue Boilermaker who finished fourth at last year's world championships in the 100 hurdles was third a week earlier at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. The depth in the women's hurdles is crazy at the moment with every race coming down to execution rather than just ability. And if my understanding of the event is correct, that mostly means don't fall. Charlton was a silver medalist in Belgrade during the 2022 World Champs and had knocked her personal best down to 7.75 earlier this season. So her success isn't completely unexpected. Devin Charlton was a household name if your household follows international hurdling before she won the Milrose Games. I can't say the same for Dylan Beard, who won the men's 60-meter hurdles, but I'm sure glad we got the chance to know him. The unsponsored athlete who previously competed for Wagner, Hampton, and Howard during his NCAA eligibility now trains in the Raleigh-Durham area where he balances a job working in the deli at Walmart. No matter how you slice it, this was easily the biggest upset of the meet. The Wanamaker Mile. It counts for something. Second to be ignored, Yared Nagus at the line, not a world record. 
record, but he does take another Wanamaker title. If you think nihilists are a buzzkill, then try talking to an athlete who pretends nothing matters except the Olympics. But as much as your quads, hamstrings, and calves are muscles that need to be trained and peaked for that defining moment, so is the mind. Technically an organ, but stay with me. And if every race has a built-in excuse about how it's just a stepping stone and there's been no speed work or it's part of the training cycle, then it's difficult to turn on the juices when you finally need to get them flowing. Few events on the calendar can trigger the emotions of racing under pressure at a championship better than a different championship. And part of the reason for that is winning doesn't really matter at the majority of meets beyond some added financial incentive. The Wanamaker Mile is unique in that it is the one regular season race where crossing the finish line first matters more to the racers than the time. Yet we still get caught up in the record chase. And I'm including myself in this. After the meet, someone asked me if this was the best Milrose I could remember. And my initial reaction was, if only Yared had gotten the world record. Is this why we can't have nice things? It's not like there was even another year of Milrose that I had in mind. I'm being transparent with you, dear readers. I'm disappointed in myself for feeling even the tiniest inkling of disappointment in watching Yard Nagus win a great race by running a 347.83 mile. As much as I try to preach the importance of racing over everything, the bad habits of father time will still occasionally try to drag you back in. That's why I'm not even going to make a big deal about four guys running sub 315 in an indoor race. They all lost, and that's the only thing that matters. But you know who would never let me down even when I'm letting myself down? Ellie St-Pierre. This was her third Wanamaker victory, and her time of 416.41 broke her own American record. Following her incredible return to action 11 months following the birth of her son, Ellie living on a dairy farm will be the second thing you hear about when she's making the race an honest one at the Olympic trials. Beyond television talking points, the tables turned in St-Pierre's rivalry with Jess Hall. This time around, it was now the Australian who was charged with controlling the pace. But when St. Pierre launched into a 61.3 final quarter, with all the energy that Hall spent up in the front, it proved to be too much. Under Armour had themselves a weekend. Here they come. And the winner, it looks for Renewicki. And he gets it at 351.72. When Under Armour committed itself to distance running a couple years ago, the Baltimore-based brand put all of its chips on the team approach. With the backing of a $3.4 billion company, Under Armour split its investments across three different groups that would be linked under the Mission Run moniker. One in Flagstaff, which is Dark Sky Distance, and two in Baltimore, Baltimore Distance and Baltimore 800. For spectators, the three groups have often blended together. They all wear versions of a similar uniform, and 80% of each team's name is shared with the others. But that's part of the territory when casting a wide net, athlete-wise, into a crowded shoe market. There have been moments in the past that have forced runners to take notice of the project's individual athletes, and thus the product on their feet. Most notably, Sharon Lochetti winning the New York City Marathon in 2022, or Isaac Updike qualifying for the World Championships last year. But this indoor track season has been a turning point for the brand. Starting with Edwin Kurgat's 1257.525K just a few weeks ago, this last weekend, it seemed like Under Armour's athletes were everywhere. In the Wanamaker Mile, Adam Fogg runs 349, Casey Comer 351. At BU, John Renecki won the Valentine Mile in 351. Jack Ansey set the Australian 1K record in 216. Lauren Ryan won the BU Valentine 3K in 842. 
Sabrina Sutherland and Danae Rivers went 1-2 in the BU1K. Reagan Yee runs 424 for the mile, and Ellie Leather runs 425 for the mile. They go 1-2 at BU. Ahmed Jaziri runs 741, and Willie Fink runs 742 in the BU3K. Try hopping in a time machine and going back to the previous Olympic cycle to tell a random American track fan that Under Armour's pro groups are running better than Nike's right now, and they'll call you a butthead and suggest that you make like a tree and get out of here. I've said it before, and I hope to say it again. If there's one thing that's good for the sport, it's a diverse portfolio of brands pouring money into it so that we don't all have to kiss the same ring. And from an athlete development standpoint, the more options that are available, then the better the chances of finding one that fits. A quick note, this is not a sponsored post and there's no active conversations right now with Sidious Mag or the lap count and Under Armour happening. We're just a big fan of what they're building. And Kyle owes coach Corey Leslie a lot of credit for rabbiting more than 1,400 meters of Kyle's 1,500 meter personal best. Provisional suspension for whereabouts failures, Mo Katir. Esta tarde Mocatir iba a intentar batir el récord de Europa de 5.000 en pista corta en Valencia. Digo que voy a atacar el récord de, de Europa de 5.000 es porque estoy preparado para ello. Desde hoy está suspendido provisionalmente. La Agencia Mundial Antidopaje lo ha sancionado por saltarse tres controles. The key word in this headline is provisional because Mohamed Katir of Spain has not officially been convicted of wrongdoing. He's only being accused of it. Katir is twice a world championship medalist, and his quick ascension to stardom has previously drawn suspicion. In 2021, Katir dropped his 1,500-meter time from 336.59 to 328.76. His 3K time improved from 744 to 727, and he has since run 1245 for 5K. Rapid progression often throws up red flags in fans' heads, but at the age of 23, it's not uncommon to get way faster relatively quickly. Look at Yard Nagus, who dropped 10 seconds in his mile last year. You don't think he's cheating, do you? That's because we've watched him grow up. I have no clue if Katir is cheating. I hope he's not. He's a fearless racer, posts sick videos of him ripping on the treadmill, indulges in great celebrations, and is a wordsmith. All important qualities we look for in our stars. There isn't much of a we got him hit of satisfaction when athletes are suspended for whereabouts failures. I'd like some more definitive proof, like a doctor coming out and saying it's a miracle that a theoretically caught athlete is even alive because it's impossible to have that much testosterone in their bloodstream. Instead, we get a weak little excuse from the AIU like, well, we couldn't find him, and that doesn't quite scratch the itch of my pitchfork. In a perfect world, if someone is missing three tests in 12 months, then we can safely assume they're avoiding them. And then we can feel just about labeling them as a cheater. Unfortunately, this system hasn't instilled 100% confidence in the process. In theory, it should not be that hard to provide a one-hour window each day where you're likely sitting on your couch drinking coffee before a run. But filing failures, athletes forgetting to update their travel plans, and a terrible website or app do create some gray areas. Regardless, the responsibility still falls on the athlete. One might happen, but once there are two strikes on your record, if you're actively fighting with the commenters about whether or not you're doping, then it feels like step one is don't dope, and step two is update your whereabouts religiously. If you're curious about how often Americans are being tested by USADA, there's publicly available information there that I've linked to within the newsletter. Here's what else you need to know from this past week. 17-year-old Cameron Myers opened up his season in Adelaide in Australia with a 334 
1500. Peyton Craig, who's 18 years old, won the 800 in 145. And 18-year-old Claudia Hollingsworth ran 404 for 1500 meters. Crikey, what are they feeding these kids down there? You all know how invested I am in unlocking India to expand Trax fan base. And I was fired up to see the University of Florida freshman Parav Khan throw down a 356.64 mile, a new Indian national record with a crazy final 200 meters while munching on his gold chain. The link to that video is also in the newsletter. Kibiwat Candy won the Barcelona half in 59.23 and Joycelyn Chipkazgai set a new personal best of one hour, four minutes and 29 seconds. Stanford's Kai Robinson ran an NCAA leading 3K time in 7.36 at the Husky Classic. Brandon Miller, who I should remind you is now on the Brooks Beast, ran 114 to win the 600 at a meet in Albuquerque. LSU's Michaela Rose ran 159, and Harvard's Maya Ramson ran 424, and each moved up to number two all-time in history in the 800 and mile, respectively. Colorado State's Maya Lesnar set a new NCAA lead in the shot put, throwing 19.07 meters. Yes, her dad is who you think he is. The USATF Indoor Championships take place in New Mexico on February 16th and 17th. You'll be able to watch that with a subscription to USATF.tv and NBC. The Seville Marathon will be broadcast on YouTube on February 18th at 2.30 a.m. While we hope that everyone has a great race at that one, American fans don't want any new countries unlocking a spot with a sub-20810. And finally, the Terrier DMR Challenge on February 16th is at 7 p.m. You can watch it on FlowTrack. There is NCAA qualifying DMRs and rumors of a fast professional 5K race. Thanks so much to Bellis for sponsoring this week's newsletter. In addition to making a great product, their team has been a huge supporter of Sidious Mag, and they love this freaking sport, and that's a company I can get behind. This has been this week's The Lap Count newsletter, written by Kyle Merber and read by me, Chris Chavez. We'll see you next week. If you want this in your inbox every Wednesday morning, subscribe at thelapcount.com.